Well, good morning, Grace Chapel. It's great to see all of you here in Wilmington. It's great to be uh, able to preach live this morning to you. I never, I always preach live. I'm, I'm just never always in the room that all the recipients of the message are hearing. So today is a great chance for me to do that, and I always love uh, preaching at, uh, at our own house right here. So it's great to see you today. Well, a few, few years ago, a group of 20 or so lead pastors from the Denver, this, uh, the Denver area uh, got together and they were praying and they were thinking and they were brainstorming about ways that together their churches might be able to make an impact in the city, might be able to serve the city. And so they actually brought together um, the mayor of their city as well, the local mayor, who came to one of their gatherings and they asked him a simple question. They said, uh, how can we as churches best work together to serve the city? They just wanted to hear what a public official uh, might respond, how he might respond to that. And so, of course, for the next several hours, they entered into a lengthy discussion about the many the sort of laundry lists of societal problems that were plaguing uh, the city of Denver, um, just the same kinds of problems that are challenges for every city. Uh, At-risk kids, uh, areas of housing that is, that's just dilapidated, uh, child hunger, an epidemic of drug use, uh, shut-in, lonely seniors who don't have anyone checking in on them. And on and on went the list. And then the mayor actually said something that, uh, that then caught people's attention a little bit. Mayor said, uh, he said, you know, what you guys could really do is, is actually the majority of the issues that our community faces would be greatly eliminated or, or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors, to be a community of great neighbors. And then the mayor left and the pastors began to talk about some of the insights that he shared. And uh, one of the pastors finally blurted out, am I the only one here who's just a little embarrassed? I mean, we invited the mayor to come to talk to us about what we can do to serve the city. And basically, he tells us that if we could get our communities, our congregations, to simply obey the teachings of Jesus his second, his, uh, in the great commandment. Remember that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourselves. He said that's what we're being asked to do, is to get our congregations to obey the teachings of Jesus. Well, that's exactly what the mayor said would make a difference in their community. Uh, I want to read the uh, Jesus' great commandment in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31, just to set the setting for us here today. One of the teachers of the law came and asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. No commandment greater than these. And the commandment to be the kind of neighbor that exemplifies Jesus is commandment number two of all the commandments in the, in the scriptures. And I agree with the mayor. I believe if the church has something to offer to the world, it's a love for neighbor as love for self. 
So I ask ourselves the question this morning here in the Wilmington area. Are we living up to that call? Are we fulfilling our responsibility? Are we following the second greatest commandment in the ways that we should and in the ways that we can? Because I believe if the church could just get this right, we might make a difference, a transformative difference in the life of the northern suburbs of the metro Boston area. I really believe that. So we are in week five of a series that we've entitled uh, For the Good of the World. And we're discovering that when we follow God, when we experience a life with God the way he calls us to, that we as a community, as a church, are actually good for the world around us. You know, especially around here, we often get people sort of po poking and asking the question, is our church is really good? Is it really a good thing to be a part of uh, a church? Uh, is God good? Is religion good? And what we're discovering is if we live the way that God calls us to live, the answer is a resounding yes. We are good for the world. We can be part of the good for the world that God has uh, in his plan. And so two weeks ago, we learned that if we're going to be good for the world, it has to begin in our hearts. That's the place it starts. Uh, we said that our hearts are good for the world when we want what God wants. And then we moved out to a next sphere of life as we're making our way out from the heart outward. And last week, we learned that the next venue or sphere of life is our family life. That uh, when we get it right, we are good for our homes. We are good for our family, for those people who live closest to us. And today, we're moving out one more rung from that circle. Uh, and we're turning our attention uh, away from those who are in our family or in our homes to our neighborhood. And we're asking, what does it mean to be good for the hood, good for the neighborhood? So we're going to be answering that question uh, this morning, or at least uh, answering it a bit for what does that look like? So that's what I'd like us to think about. Um, what does it look like for us to be a good neighbor? Jesus actually to to uh, told a story that is the quintessential neighboring story uh, of all time, quite possibly, but certainly in the New Testament out of the teaching of Jesus. We're going to take a look at that story for just a moment. It's a story of the Good Samaritan, and uh, I'd like for us to read through that uh, in the book of Luke. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down, uh, to the, down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now often the story is told, uh, the main question is who, is who is the neighbor? Like you get three choices here. Like which one was the one who was the best neighbor? 
But I'd like us to think about the story in a different way. I would like us to consider what good neighboring actually looks like. Because that's, last, that's Jesus' last statement. Go and do likewise. So what does it mean for us to go and do like this Samaritan man? What does it mean for us to be neighbors who are good for our neighborhood? And I suggest there are three simple moves that are required to be the kind of neighbor that Jesus calls us to be. And we're going to walk through each one of those uh, one at a time. Also, before we begin, I'd like everyone to have one of these cards in their hand. Um, so if you didn't receive one at the door, we're going to use these a little later in the service. I've got ushers who are coming and stalking and will hand you, if you raise your hand, hand you one of these cards. So, yes, thank you guys. <clears throat> So what does it mean to be a good neighbor? What does it look like? What are the three moves, the three movements? Uh, I would suggest that good neighboring begins with seeing people. Seeing people. Uh, The Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, when he saw him, the, the Samaritan turned and looked to the man. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, it is so easy to live life in uh, the Boston exurbs up, he, up here in the northern suburbs um, in a commuting culture with blinders on to the people around you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you make your way through your day. A commuting culture means that we're going from point A to point B and point C and point D. Um, I don't want to tell you how many miles I put on my car in a given week, but it's a lot. And maybe it's not just that you're putting a lot of miles on your car, but maybe it's just that your life is so full of, uh, of, of responsibilities and projects that are due and wanting to get a little exercise and shuttling kids back and forth and taking care of the home and making dinner and doing the laundry and on and on and on it goes. And what happens is in the flurry of all this activity, we can live life not even seeing the crowds of people that we inevitably make our way past throughout the day. And so if we choose, uh, we can live without seeing people all day long. And into this story comes a Samaritan traveler who is making his way, by the way, uh, from point A to point B. Interesting that he is a commuter as well. Uh, It's likely that he was a business person because we find out he has some means Uh, But as he goes, the scripture tells us that he saw the man at the side of the road. The Samaritan saw the man at the side of the road. Now this story is a a parable. It's a made-up story uh, by Jesus. But Jesus lived this kind of seeing of people extremely well himself. Uh, It's one of the things that, uh, that is so endearing and so drawing to Jesus is that Jesus always had his eyes wide open to the particularities of every person's circumstance. Like he didn't see a crowd. He saw a group of individuals. That's one of the things that drove his followers a little crazy, to be honest, in the midst of of the crowd as he was going from speaking engagement to performing a miracle to, uh, to his private teachings or debriefs with his 12 to pulling away for a season to, to, to refuel and recharge in prayer with his father. He kept, he kept seeing people all along the way. He kept 
being interrupted and interrupting everybody around him to tend to the individual, to see the people that no one else seemed to be noticing. He saw the woman who was drawing water from the well. He saw, he saw Nathaniel who was sitting under the fig tree. He saw the woman who touched the hem of his robe when no one else did. He saw Zacchaeus as he was clambering up the tree in the midst of a huge crowd just to catch Jesus' gaze, to see what was going on. He saw a man in chains on the outskirts of the city. And constantly, when he saw people, he brought his entourage along and started to sit down and engage very personally. So it was true for the Samaritan. It was true for Jesus. And Jesus says it should be true for us. We ought to live our lives seeing people. I read this week that the tribes of the northern uh, Natal uh, region in South Africa, instead of saying hello to one another as a greeting, which we all do as we pass by, some of us don't even get to that. Some of it is, some of us kind of just glance up to see if the other person is going to glance at us. Uh, but the greeting there is not hello, it is saubana. Say it with me. Saubana. Saubana. Saubana actually means I see you. I see you. And the response uh, to Saubana is Sikona. Sikona. I am here. Imagine saying that to people as you're walking through the day. I see you. And the person saying, I am here. That's the way we should live. Somebody from the last service said, I'm going to put those two greetings on my wall. No one will know what they mean, but it will be a reminder to me to see people as I make my way through the day. Well, I want to bring this this discussion a little closer to your neighborhood. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for you? So that's why I have a little card here that I'd like you to pick up. Some of you remember this card from three years ago because as I preached a message on neighboring, I won't ask you who did because it's a no-win situation. Either you forgot uh, or you remembered and now you feel like I'm just preaching the same message again. <laughs> or you're telling me that you weren't here when I was uh, preaching three years ago. But we're going to freshen up a little exercise that I began three years ago. Um, I asked my wife, she said, I think, I think this would be good for us too. So uh, Julie gave me permission to reuse an idea. Um, this is an idea that was actually, uh, uh, came to me as I was uh, reading through uh, a book that was, uh, that's entitled Neighboring, The Art of Neighboring. And uh, the idea is that on this page, this page represents your neighborhood. Now, of course, Jesus, when Jesus says your neighbor, it doesn't necessarily only mean the people who live in the proximity to your you know, dwelling where you lay your head. Um, but it is a great place to start. So for most of you, you're probably going to use this card to think about the neighborhood around you, the people in your apartment complex, in your condo units, uh, the people in your, on your street uh, or in your neighborhood. But this also may represent um, the neighbors, the people that, uh, that you work with, that you see regularly as you make your way through the day. It could be if you're a student, if you're a student, uh, uh, folks that live either in your dorm or that you see at school or what have you, or maybe on the playground or, or at the, on the sports fields. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to, with you in the middle, I'd like you to think of eight people that surround, that make up that next ring out for you, of people who are part of your neighborhood. Uh, we're going to play just a little traveling music. I'd like you simply to put their names, okay? You don't have to do more than just a name of eight people. Maybe it's the eight people that live closest to you. Maybe it's the eight people that you see every day. If you can't remember their name, then just put in that, you know, funny guy with ugly dog. You know, you can do that kind of thing. Or a uh, woman who has twins who leave the house early in the morning and scream loud and wake up the neighborhood. Oh, no, that's my wife. Um, so 
Whatever it is, you can fill that in. So play a little music. I'll give you a couple of minutes and see how well you do at seeing the people around you. Go. From the corners of my deepest shame The empty places where I've worn your name Show me the love I say I believe Oh, help me to lay it down close. Hopefully you got at least three or four. Maybe you've filled in all eight. The great thing is you can take this home, work on this with a friend or your spouse, uh, whoever you like, uh, uh, this afternoon. Um, so the idea here is that uh, I just want to help you see the people who are close and living around you. A lot of times we make our way through the day and we, haven't, we don't think about the people who are right down the road. Um, but seeing people is only the first move. The second move that, re that good neighboring requires is the move to move closer, to move closer. You don't just see, we then move closer. That's what the Samaritan did in the story. Now, obviously, there are two other characters in the story, three, uh, but two other travelers. Um, there was the priest and the Levite, uh, the religious leaders, who, of course, are the ones who are supposed to make their way closer. Um, but the scriptures say that what they did, rather than moving closer was, uh, I love how the message translate, translation puts it so bluntly. It says, they saw the man. They saw the man, yes, but they angled across to the other side. Like, we know what that is all about. We see the man, and we angle across to the other side. I mean, how many of you have an instinct to angle, to, to not draw near, but to actually move a little farther away. Like that is instinctual to all of us. And the fact is, the reason Jesus, the, the reason, the thing is neighboring sounds like such a simple, easy thing to do. Like be a good neighbor, like Mr. Rogers kind of stuff. But neighboring, this is the reason why neighboring is a Christian virtue. It's a reason why it's in the top two because it is, runs contrary and counter to our natural inclinations. And once we see someone, the step to move closer is the first step, really, to becoming a neighbor who is the kind of neighbor that Jesus talks about. Um, we know that until we get close and move closer, nothing is going to be required of us. But when we move closer, something is going to be asked, maybe, of us. So the Samaritan, when he made that courageous choice to move closer to the man on the road, 
he started to get close enough to see what was going on. I'm sure as he drew near, he, he heard the groans of the man. Have you heard the groan of a hurting person? Do you move closer to that? He did. Then he gets close enough to see the wounds that, uh, that, have, been, uh, that have been done to him. And, and he peels back the, 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 the blood-soaked cloak and he starts to take care of it. He, he gets close enough to see that the man has been robbed and he knows I may be in danger here too. Who knows? So when you draw nearer, when you move closer, you find out more about people. You find out what makes them tick. You discover what their hopes are in. You, you start to find out what they love. You discover what worries them. Uh, you discover what pains them. You, you start to notice their wounds and you start to discover their needs, physical, emotional, and physical needs. And so I'd like you to go back to your map and take a look at the people on your page. And I'd love you to ask yourself the question, are there things that I know about some of these people because I've moved close enough uh, to learn something more? And in particular, are there wounds, are there hurts, are there needs that I might know about uh, that, uh, that have surfaced as I've gotten to know them beyond just the end of the driveway conversation as I look down the street? but have I moved closer to any of these folks? So traveling music back up, look back down, take your pens and go back to work for a few minutes. So now you start to see why this gets challenging. Because once you start to know people, once you move closer, close enough to know people, you start to realize that, uh, that they have, there's need there. And uh, it, it brings us to the third movement. You see people, you move closer, and thirdly, you meet needs. The meeting of needs. Uh, the scripture says that the Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring an oil and pouring on oil and wine then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him the next day he took two denarii out and gave them to the innkeeper look after him he said and when i return i will re reimburse you for any extra expense you may have so you see this is where neighboring really becomes even more difficult because loving your neighbor means, if nothing else, that you're there to help meet needs as they arise. Loving your neighbor means that, if nothing else, you're there to help meet needs as they arise. It gets back to that conversation that the pastors were having with the mayor of the town. What can we do? Be great neighbors. 
who love and meet needs of the people around them. Um, the reason it gets harder when Jesus calls us to begin to be part of meeting needs for someone is because we know that it means that we're going to have to open up our resource bucket and start taking things out. And for the Samaritan, he, he literally had to open his satchel and he took out some oil uh, and then he took out some wine and he started to tend towards uh, to the man's wounds. He, he, he got off his donkey himself and he put the man on his donkey. So he gave up uh, a a vehicle for this guy. Um, he gave up half a day as he was trying to find an inn to, to bring him to. He gave up two days' wage with two denarii to pay for uh, the man's uh, housing expenses. And then he assured them that he would cover all additional expenses. Now, the fact is, when we meet needs, it doesn't mean that we just open our resource bucket and dump it all out. Like, I, I am so always encouraged by this story that this man's encounter with this wounded man uh, was a short encounter. And I'm actually encouraged by the fact that this man didn't take the man and bring him to his house and he became the care, care uh, tender for uh, the next two months as he recovered. Um, he didn't quit his job. He didn't leave his family to, to give his full responsibility to this. Um, like, Jesus holds this man out as, a, as an example of a good neighbor. The fact is we all only have so much to give, but we all have something to give. Let me say that again. We all only have so much to give, but we all have something to give. And it does mean opening the resource bucket that is ours. Oftentimes, it's a small something that you might have that meets a need in a way that you'd be surprised. A small gesture, a sitting down, taking time to write a note of encouragement, taking a few minutes uh, at coffee with someone, just hearing their life. Like those encounters and interactions mean so much. Uh, just the other day, Julie uh, had um, our neighbor Anna on her mind and she decided that on her way out, she would just swing over, take the girls over and visit with Anna for just a little bit. Um, and just that moment. Now, I don't know whether that was a blessing or a, an infliction of, uh, you know, noise and craziness, but, but it's a simple step like that that, uh, that might not cost you much, but might mean a lot. And then the other thing that I, I want to remind you of when it comes to the resource bucket is that as a body of Christ, uh, our resource bucket isn't just the bucket that we're holding. Uh, the resources that we have available to us are the resources of the people in our lives that make up the body of Christ. There's nothing more beautiful, I have to say, than when someone in a life community ha knows someone in their life who needs some kind of help and in the middle of a small group mentions it and the group comes alive and says, hey, let's us take this on together. Like that is amazing. Uh, just recently, just a couple of weeks ago, I received an email that was sent by one of the folks in our congregation to some of the people in their life community and some other friends. And she, she shared the story about a neighbor that she was sitting with, whose story she had, she had come to understand. Um, it was a woman who had quite suddenly uh, had her husband walk out on her, uh, very suddenly and unexpectedly, uh, left with uh, a couple of young kids to raise from that point forward. 
not only that, compounded to the, to the challenge of, of raising a family and uh, covering the costs for living and all of that, um, the husband and the landlord had had a, a, a falling out. There had been a late payments that the wife had no idea about, and they'd worked out an agreement that was a, an eviction agreement that they would leave, that he and his family would leave. She didn't know it. She found out shortly after he left. And so here she was in a crisis moment, and I, I can just picture uh, this Grace Chapel woman sitting down with her hearing this story. You know what her initial instinct was? I need to share this with a few people because I know that the resources needed here are greater than what are in my bucket. And so she did that. She reached out. She told the story. She asked, is there anyone who might be able to, and, and the Lord might lead to help out? And so people began to pull resources together to help her through the transition out. People were looking with her for housing opportunities and possibilities. And sure enough, um, monies came to be able to help ease her transition. It didn't answer all the challenges this woman faces, uh, but it was a gesture of neighborliness that in a moment of crisis reminded her that there are people around who care for her. And it's just a reminder that, okay, I didn't do this during the first service. It's just a reminder that when people believe that there's other people who might care for them in a moment of crisis, they might just believe that there's a God who loves them in that moment. So the woman's story isn't over. It's just begun. But this is the beautiful part of neighboring in community with others, that we are neighbors together for the people who live around us. Well, each week uh, in the series, we introduce a faithful practice. Um, actually, before we move there, I just wonder... If you look at the card, we're not going to take a minute now to do it, but take the card home. Is there someone with a need that you could circle that square and say, maybe God's calling me to meet that need this summer as we enter into a new season? Um, so each week we're introducing a faithful practice that will enable us to, to be faithfully present in these different spheres of life. And two weeks ago, it was, uh, the practice was the practice of daily surrender, when we were talking about our hearts, when we talked about the sphere of the home, we talked about the practice of, um, of uh, table talk, about having meaningful conversations, conversations about things that matter. This week, I'd like to introduce a third practice that can become a daily practice, and it is the practice of, of hospitality. The practice of hospitality. Now, when many of you hear the word hospitality, you say, oh, no, 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 I don't have the gift of hospitality. That's not me. Because what we think of when we think of hospitality is we think, well, when I think of hospitality, I think of vacuuming my, my house and cleaning it and cleaning up the clutter and going through and making sure everything looks great. Uh, and then you think about what are you going to, you know, what are you going to present and how are you going to present it and who are you going to send invitations to and all of what's required when we think of like, you know, Martha Stewart kind of hospitality. And if that's what I'm talking about, I don't have that gift either, so I'm out. But that's not what I'm talking about. The challenge of that kind of hospitality thinking, by the way, is that you think, uh, you, you often think more about um, the, the dishes and the planning for, you know, that you're putting on the table and what it looks like than you are about the people who are coming. Now, some people are so gifted they can do both, and that's beautiful. Um, and I love people like that. But the other challenge is sometimes you think the only time I can be hospitable is when I have time enough to plan uh, an event, you know, do event planning. 
And this isn't the kind of hospitality that I'm encouraging that we use as a faithful practice. The kind of hospitality that I'm suggesting has this definition. Hospitality is... <laughs> the suspense is killing me. Hospitality is simply making room in your life for others. Making room in your life for others. That's all I'm talking about. This is the faithful practice of the church since the early days of the church. It, it wasn't a table presentation. It was making room in my life for people, for another person. And, and I wonder if each day as we wake up, if we say to God, God, who is it that you might be wanting me to make room for in my life today? I believe that, that one of the challenges that we face is that we live life without margin. So we literally have no room for anyone else. We, our, our, our schedules are full. But I think the reason we don't make margin is because we don't start with the intention of being ready if God brings someone into our lives to put something on hold and to let something go and to turn our attention to a person that we've seen, make a commitment to move closer, and even make a commitment if God calls us to meet a need. Hospitality is a radical, radical practice. And I believe that if we, as a church, begin to embrace it, we can make this place a community of great neighbors. We can make Wilmington, Reading, the towns and communities that we live in. Make room in your life for others by seeing, moving toward, and meeting needs. So, I would suggest that hospitality, that kind of making room, starts with us. It begins with our congregation. Maybe you're a person who has, uh, who has, been, who has come in and zipped out with blinders on. Like, we can have blinders on on Sunday mornings, too, when we come in. We're here for the service. We sit down. And it's not a bad thing, and it's not an indictment. It's just a reality. So I want us to, nud to nudge us a little uh, further. Perhaps in the month of June, this month, you can share a meal with somebody from church that you've never had more than a lobby conversation with. Wouldn't that be great? Just commit to that. It can happen where you live. Maybe in July, you invite a neighbor over uh, to your house as you're cooking out one, one night. Like, don't, don't do anything more than just buy a little more food and, and, and make an ask. Make a phone call. Send a text. You don't even have to call. Um... It can happen wherever you spend your day, wherever you work or live during your life during the days outside of your home. Um, maybe in August, you can grab coffee with someone cross path, that you cross paths with often uh, but have never really had a real conversation with. Uh, take some time to do that. And then by the end of the summer, chances are uh, you, you've, you've made three new friends uh, that have made your life richer. And chances are you may have found something out. Chances are you may have recruited somebody to help you do something in the lives of one of these friends. A lot of people are off tomorrow on Memorial Day. It might be a perfect time to start. Make your way through Memorial Day with your blinders down, seeing people, being willing and ready to move in with hospitality. Well, I want to leave you with a quick image. This is a Grace Chapel map. I love maps, you guys who know me. Uh, right from the very beginning of uh, Wilmington, I was a map guy. And uh, I, I always like to see where all of you uh, live your lives. 
And so this is what this is. This is a map of the Grace Chapel Wilmington uh, regular attenders and members. It goes up farther north. I wish I had a bigger, um, a bigger screen. Um, but uh, you see the saturation of Christ followers just from Grace Chapel Wilmington in the towns around us. This is the reason why we started this church, by the way, that we could be people in our neighborhoods who were the hands and feet of Christ and who showed, not just told, what Jesus is all about. I want to show you this, first of all, because I want you to know that there's, you are not alone. There are Christ followers in every town. This is just our church, too. Imagine this overlaid with another all the churches in the area um, and even other Grace Chapel folks who live up this way who attend Lexington. Secondly, I wanted you to imagine what might happen if every one of us sought to love our neighbors the way Jesus calls us to love the neighbor. Like, it is simplicity exemplified, the story of the, of the Good Samaritan. It is the simplest story in the world. I have to tell you, I almost wondered, should I tell the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's so simple. And then God said, that's exactly right. Simplicity exemplified. Seeing people, moving closer, meeting needs in the name of Jesus. We can make an incredible difference. In the message version of John chapter 1, verse 14, we're, we're reminded that Christ came into this world. It says that when Jesus came into the world, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And folks, Christ has done it again because the spirit of Jesus resides within every one of us who call ourselves his. And when we go into the neighborhood, Jesus moves into that neighborhood. And he is with us as we follow his command to live out his command to love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this morning, for the reminder of the simplicity and the clarity of what it is you call us to. God, I pray for every single person, man, woman, child in this room today, that you would help them to enter into this afternoon and tomorrow with a spirit of hospitality, with an openness to make room for people that may cross their paths that you have brought there, that you would give them a sensitivity of your spirit to know when it is to turn, to move closer, and to meet needs. And Lord, ultimately, we are grateful that we are reminded that the resources that we have to offer are not ours in the first place. They are amazing, incredible gifts that are given to us by you. And you ask us to steward those well. And so God, help us to be ready when you reach down and open our bucket and be ready to give graciously and lovingly. In Christ's name we pray, amen.